Welcome to the USMLE Step 2 Success Podcast. I'm Dr. Rajani Kata, author of The Successful Matchbook, and in this podcast, I share clinical cases with targeted teaching points. This podcast is not affiliated in any way with the National Board of Medical Examiners, and cases and teaching points are not meant to serve as an official study guide or medical guidance. I've been a faculty member for over 20 years, and I've advised hundreds of residency applicants. I know how important standardized test scores are in the application process, although I always remind my students that they're just one piece of the application puzzle. If you'd like to learn more on how to succeed in the residency match, you can sign up for a free 100-page excerpt of The Successful Matchbook on our website, thesuccessfulmatch.com. You're working in the family practice clinic when you're asked to see your next patient. It turns out that she's Dr. Medina, who is one of your family practice colleagues. She is here to see you because of pain and numbness in both of her hands. She describes this as involving almost all of her fingers, maybe not her fifth digit, but the rest of them, she does experience pain and on and off numbness and tingling. She says that this has been getting progressively worse for the previous six months. She initially had some improvement in her symptoms when she would take NSAIDs, but that's no longer as helpful. She notes that sometimes her pain seems to be worse when she wakes up in the morning. What is the most likely diagnosis? Is this neuropathy of the radial nerve? Neuropathy of the ulnar nerve? neuropathy of the median nerve, or notalgia paresthetica. In this case, Dr. Medina's symptoms are consistent with median nerve compression, also known as carpal tunnel syndrome. Her symptoms are pretty classic for median nerve compression. If you think about any type of neuropathy, you can have a progression of symptoms. Patients may experience different types of sensations related to neuropathy. So for some patients, it presents as tingling, others numbness, others pain. Sometimes that might be a stabbing pain or a throbbing pain, sometimes an electric shock-like pain. Some patients even experience pruritus or itching instead of pain when there's a neuropathy. As the neuropathy progresses, you may start to experience weakness, and you may also start to experience muscle atrophy. Now, Dr. Medina is a physician, and unfortunately, physicians are at increased risk for carpal tunnel syndrome. There are actually a number of occupations that put a patient at risk. If we think about physicians, one of the reasons that they're at risk nowadays is because there's so much typing. And if you think about the way that many people type, sometimes the hands are lower than the wrists. And when you're in that position, you may start to compress the median nerve. Other occupations that are at risk include a number of occupations in which that wrist is maintained in a non-neutral position. So it might be an assembly line worker, it might be a hairstylist, a musician, a cashier, a baker. There are certainly a number of occupations at risk. Women are three times at risk of developing carpal tunnel syndrome, probably because 
Anatomically, they have smaller carpal tunnels. One physical exam maneuver that may help in the diagnosis is the Tenel sign in which you can tap or press on the nerve with a hammer and then ask the patients if this reproduces their symptoms of tingling or shooting sensation. Now in Dr. Medina's case, we have to talk about treatment options. What would be the best initial treatment? Would it be ergonomic changes in how she holds her wrist? Would it be a injection of steroids? Or would it be surgical decompression? Well, this is probably too easy of a question, but the initial treatment is going to be an adjustment of ergonomics. So it's going to be really important that Dr. Medina starts to pay attention to how she is holding her hands when she is typing. Sometimes consultation with a specialist in ergonomics can be really helpful or even an occupational therapist. So there may be an adjustment in um, the level of her desk or the level of her chair. There are special mouse pads that can help elevate and keep your wrist and your hands at more of a neutral position. Sometimes splinting is necessary to help keep that wrist in a neutral position, especially for somebody who's typing all day. That splint could help reduce pressure on the nerve. It's interesting that some patients complain of more pain in the morning, and that may be because of the way the wrist is positioned at nighttime, putting more pressure on that nerve. And so sometimes use of a splint at night may be very helpful. Now, as this progresses, you may start to have a decrease in grip strength, a decrease in ability to pinch, and you may start to see muscle atrophy. Now, at that point, you're going to need to uh, accelerate your treatment options. So, um, conservatively, you think about rest, ice, wrist splints. You can think about medications to help reduce symptoms and swelling, such as NSAIDs. But if these symptoms progress, you may need to do cortisone injections. And of course, surgical decompression is one option for patients. Remember that the median nerve is responsible for sensation and movement of the thumb and essentially all of the fingers except that fifth digit. So if you're examining somebody with advanced carpal tunnel syndrome, you may actually see atrophy of the thenar eminence. You know, you may actually see atrophy at the base of the thumb. For our next case, you're working in the emergency room on a Sunday morning when you are asked to see your next patient. He is a 24-year-old man and his name is Ray. Ray tells you that he is experiencing a lot of pain. He's feeling pain in his hands, and he also is experiencing numbness on the back of his hand. He's extremely concerned because he's a drummer, and he's telling you that he can't straighten his fingers, and he's even having problems lifting his wrist. As you continue with your history, you discover that he was heavily intoxicated on Saturday night, and these symptoms developed when he woke up this morning. On exam, you do document that he has a loss of wrist extension, and you document a wrist drop. What is the most likely diagnosis? Is this compression of the ulnar nerve, of the median nerve, of the radial nerve, or is this notalgia paresthetica? 
Well, in this case, you are dealing with damage to the radial nerve. Now, when you think about the radial nerve, it basically runs from the armpit to the fingertips. And it's very important in terms of controlling extension of the arms and hand. If you start to have compression of the radial nerve, you can start to have those same sensory changes. So it may involve burning or tingling or numbness or itching, and it may also involve pain. Later, or with more severe damage, you may start to lose mobility. And in this case, you're going to have an effect on the ability to extend your fingers and your wrist. That's why patients report a wrist drop, um, or they report the inability to straighten fingers. And another common symptom is that numbness on the back of the hand. The evaluation of these patients is mainly clinical. And one thing that I find really interesting is that uh, this is relatively common. In fact, radial nerve neuropathy has been said to be the fourth most common neuropathy in the United States. And our patient, Ray, had several notable risk factors. So if you think about the radial nerve going from the armpit to the fingertips, one of the major risk factors is if you have compression in either the axilla or the upper medial arm. And so another name for this neuropathy is Saturday night palsy. And if you look at an image of this online, it is typically a person who is intoxicated, who has their arm slung over the back of, let's say, a wooden chair, so that all night they are uh, keeping their arm in that unnatural position and they're maintaining pressure against that upper medial arm. So that's why another name for this is Saturday Night Palsy. Another really common risk factor for this would be somebody who is, let's say, status post an accident and is on crutches. So they have a lot of that pressure against their axilla, causing pressure against their radial nerve. In terms of treatment, it's going to be very similar to how you would approach median nerve neuropathy. So you would start with removing any potential risk factors and then continuing on from there with treatment depending on the severity of symptoms. After you finish evaluating Ray, you're called to see your next patient in the emergency room. And this patient is named Ulrich. And Ulrich is a serious cyclist. And he is coming to see you now because he's very alarmed. He's developed numbness and tingling in his fourth and fifth fingers. The numbness and tingling had been there for a few weeks, but he's very alarmed now because this has progressed to a more severe, almost like an electric shock type pain that's going through his fingers. What is the most likely diagnosis here? Is this notalgia paresthetica? Is it ulnar nerve neuropathy, median nerve neuropathy, or radial nerve neuropathy? Well, in this case, you're dealing with an ulnar nerve neuropathy. So if you think about risk factors for ulnar nerve neuropathy, one of the major ones is fractures because that ulnar nerve travels close to the elbow. And so a fracture in that area can certainly cause damage to the ulnar nerve. 
most of us have experienced a brief form of ulnar nerve damage because this is where you hit your funny bone. So if you smash your elbow up against a wall or a door and you feel that really severe pain and tingling that shoots down your arm, that's involvement of the ulnar nerve. So it's, uh, you know, it's hitting your funny bone. So in this case, um, the patient does not have a fracture, but he does have a major risk factor, which is that he's a bicyclist. So Ulrich is a bicyclist, and sometimes bicyclists are at risk because you can have ulnar nerve entrapment either at the elbow or at the wrist. And sometimes bicyclists will lay their, or will rest their wrists on their handlebars, which can then start to compress the ulnar nerve as it passes through the wrist. So another name for this is handlebar palsy. So that risk factor is, uh, is very important in this case. Now in the final case, you have a patient who's 80 years old and who's coming in because she has noticed a lot of itching in one particular spot on her back. As you look at her back, you see a hyperpigmented patch on her left infrascapular area. And as you point to it, she says, yes, absolutely, that's the area that's really bothering me. It's been bothering her for a number of months now, and it's enough that she's gotten a back scratcher and she's been really rubbing and trying to scratch that back. It is right beyond where her fingers can reach, so that's why she's using a back scratcher. And she's seeing you because she's seeking treatment. What is the diagnosis here? Well, the last diagnosis that's left is notalgia parasthetica. And the reason this is an important diagnosis is because it's incredibly common. I think this is the reason that so many elderly people have back scratchers. Notalgia parasthetica is a sensory neuropathy that causes a localized pruritus and or a dysesthesia. So some patients will point to a specific spot and say this is incredibly itchy, or they might point to a particular spot and say this is incredibly sensitive, even you know, clothing rubbing against it will bother me. And it is classically unilateral and located infrascapular. The pathogenesis of this condition is actually not known for sure, even though it's incredibly common. It typically causes episodic itching or pain, classically in that T2 to T6 general dermatomal area. Some of these patients have a history of neck pain and some we can actually document radiographically changes in the cervical area, but it's not felt to be a specific neuropathy in most cases. So a little bit unclear about the pathogenesis here, but it is a sensory neuropathy very common, and it does have this classic clinical appearance. In terms of treatment, we typically start with topical antipyritics. So um, you may start with something like a topical promoxine or a topical lidocaine. Some patients do require advancing therapies. And if you think about oral medications that can treat neuropathy, um, there are actually a number of them. 
classic one is gabapentin, uh, but other possible medications that can treat neuropathy include things such as tricyclic antidepressants in low doses. Uh, doxepin is an antihistamine that is also an antidepressant that can also be very helpful for certain types of neuropathy. So just to recap our four cases, Dr. Medina, risk factor of being a physician and unfortunately having to type very frequently in the electronic medical record. Dr. Medina, median nerve compression, also known as carpal tunnel syndrome. Start with ergonomic changes, possibly wrist splints, and then move on to more serious treatments depending on severity. Our next patient was Ray, who was a drummer and very concerned because he was experiencing wrist drop and Ray had radial nerve neuropathy. In his case, his risk factor was that he was intoxicated the night before and had maintained that pressure by slinging his arm over a chair and putting pressure on his radial nerve as it traveled through the axilla and the upper medial arm. Our next case of Ulrich who was a bicyclist who had ulnar nerve neuropathy. So Ulrich had the ulnar nerve neuropathy. He was very concerned because he had those sensory changes in the fourth and fifth digits with numbness and tingling progressing to pain. And those fourth and fifth digits, a lot of us have experienced um, damage to the ulnar nerve because that's the funny bone. And he was at risk because he was a bicyclist. And so there was entrapment of the ulnar nerve. And you can have that entrapment either as it travels through the elbow or as it travels through the wrist. So another name for this is that handlebar palsy. And finally, our elderly patient with notalgia paresthetica needing to use that back scratcher because this was unilateral infrascapular localized paritis or dysesthesia. So that's it for our four cases today of different types of neuropathy. I hope you have a wonderful week. I'm Dr. Rajani Kata here on the USMLE Step 2 Success Podcast. <music>